and welcome to this Cumberland Lodge podcast on the topic of Faith and Belief 2040. My name is Emily Gow and I'm the Programme Officer at Cumberland Lodge. If you aren't familiar with us, we're an educational charity that tackles social division through dialogue and debate uh, based in Windsor Great Park. So this week we've been running a virtual conference exploring how the faith and belief landscape in the UK might change in the next 20 years and how we can prepare for the many challenges and opportunities that society might face as a result. We've heard some, uh, from some uh, brilliant guest speakers and we've had some really lively discussions on Zoom um, with a great group of participants, all from different faith and, and non-faith backgrounds. Uh, so that's been brilliant. Um, today, I'm delighted to be joined by two of this week's speakers um, for this podcast. So a very warm welcome to Professor Linda Woodhead, Distinguished Professor at the University of Lancaster, and Marmataj Begum, who is a member of the Faith and Belief Forum's Youth Council. So thank you both for joining me. And before we get going, do you mind just both introducing yourselves and maybe telling us a bit about your experience? Sure. So I'm Linda Woodhead. Um, I've been studying religion in the UK and more widely my, my whole career. Uh, and um, that's what I do. I know about, talk to people, uh, do surveys, do interviews. And, and um, I've been lucky because it's been such an interesting period that we've seen over the last 30 years of change. And hi, I'm Marmitage. Um, I've been involved with the Faith and Belief Forum in its various forms more recently. Um, and more prominently with its youth council who hosts um, an interfaith summit made for young people by young people and we host a bunch of other things um, so events around the uh, calendar over the year so if we're International Women's Day, Black History Month, that sort of thing. Um, I got involved initially when I was at university um, in a social action interfaith project. Hey, thank you. Um, very warm welcome to both of you. Um, so Linda, I'm going to come to you first. Um, so I wonder if you could um, share a bit about what you were speaking about in our first session on Tuesday about religious diversity, maybe talk about the key trends within the faith and belief landscape um, and what academic research suggests is going to change over the next 20 years. Yeah, well, the most in interesting and big change, uh, and we're just talking about Britain here, Emily, is the... Um, the growth of the category of people who say they have no religion. Now that's just a survey category. That's when people tick a box on the census or in a survey and it says, what's your religion? You know, Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, whatever. Uh, increasingly people tick no religion and that goes up with every generation. And in the last few years, it's actually reached a turning point because that's become the majority affiliation. So we're seeing this really huge shift whereby Britain has ceased to be a country where the majority of people identify as Christian to being one where the majority say they have no religion. But it's important to realize, well, two things. Um, first, at the same time, of course, the country has become much more multi-faith. So the presence of other faiths, Islam being the largest, but also others like Hinduism, Sikhism, Buddhism, uh, Judaism's always been, been here for a much longer period, of course. Um, uh, those have become much more prominent and visible and influential with strong communities associated with them. So there's a diversification. And then the second important point is that those who say they are not, they don't belong to a religion, it doesn't necessarily mean they're atheists. So um, under half of those who say they have no religion are atheist. 
uh, and many are still open to the belief in a god or gods or some spiritual presence, uh, but they don't want to identify with an organized religion. Uh, there's no sign that that's going to change in the future because the way it's growing is that children, every generation, the children are more likely to want to make up their own minds, not to identify with a religion. Uh, and so that, that rise in no religion is likely to grow. And some of the church, I mean, the church that used to be dominant in this country, the Church of England, is now down to um, well under 2% of people in church on a Sunday and you know, about a quarter of the population identifying it, and mainly older people. So that church is, is a very diminished force in society. And as are the free churches, the Catholic church doing a little bit better, mainly because of Eastern European migration. But still, the church is having a very much diminished role in society and no sign of that changing in the future. What do you then think, Linda, of... Um... In today's day, churches aren't just used purely for, for worship. They are shelters, they are food banks, um, they provide solace for people when they are truly in trouble. If we are um, seeing a world change where the demand for people to go to church less and less, but the, um, the, the importance of a, of a church to be there for mm. the community, how do how do we reconcile that and ensure that those places are sort of protected and mm. and, and safe for, for are basically future proof? I think the answer to that is that they have to be returned to the community. Mm. So um, you know they were originally most ancient churches they were built by the community for the community and they were gradually taken over by the clergy. And I think it's time that they went back to the community. Of course, the big question is who pays for them. Mm. Um, um, but in practice, it's, uh, you know, it's been a diminishing number of people who go to church, and that's a real burden on them too. So I think if we want those churches, we have to say we want them, and we're prepared to give donations and be, and be much more responsible for them, because I completely recognise the importance. And I think, actually, it could be exciting. They could open up again for a much more diverse range of people. And, and it's, it's crazy to have these fantastic big buildings being used so little, and there's such fantastic resources and in, in communities starved for space. So I'm totally with you. And I think they, they, we, we need to think much harder about that question. I think it's also really interesting to think about how these changes can affect people's identities and sense of belonging. Mark, as you spoke about that uh, quite a lot in your presentation. So I wonder if you could um, share with us um, your, your experience of how, how people's sense of identity um, can change and how yours has perhaps uh, changed. Yeah, so I, it's interesting that you've mentioned that, uh, uh, Linda, because I sort of, I connected my sense of identity to um, a lot to geography, namely that of immigration. So um, when people do move to, to another space that they... Um, are holding on to what's local to them, what's near, mm. nearest to them, because mm. that's familiar. And mm. often um, that is like finding people who are who have the same beliefs as you, who speak the same language as you. And that's the experience of that I've had um, as a second generation South Asian um, immigrant. Um, and I've, I've, my faith has become stronger. Um, I think quite a lot because I've gotten involved in lots of interfaith activities. So doing Quran studies in churches and repurposing space so that it's for everyone. I think 
religion has such a beauty for it to be adaptable and change mm. with um, mm. what people need and what people are um, requiring at that time. And, uh, it, you know, there are, there are times when traditional mosques are still um, behind the wavelength when it comes to inviting and welcoming women to their spaces so sexism still exists and then you just go and create your own space somewhere else which is almost secular and then it but spiritually it's mm. it's islamic or it's muslim or it's christian so um so i i, I spoke a lot about space and, and repurposing that and mm. how um you you find um the whole world becomes your 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 church your mosque um and islam also says like you know you can you can pray anywhere anywhere is a mosque as long as you find the the um the compass to face the the kaaba um but uh, yeah a lot of my 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 faith and belief has been strengthened by interfaith communities because we forged it's it's pretty it's pretty new community i guess that we've it's forged its own space and i found a lot I found I have a lot similar with other sort of millennial Jewish people and millennial Hindus, millennial Christians and stuff. Cause, cause we um, have grown up here. We're practicing in a way that um, is really uh, different to what our parents have practiced. So it's almost like the first or second generation of merging those two and creating your own way of, of being and practicing which I found to not be um, opposed to my faith or my values in Islam. I think that's, I mean, that's, you've put that so beautifully. And I think that is, um, I mean, that's very much the way that younger people who have a faith and a tradition and a heritage they want to keep up, but in their own way. Uh, and so I'm not just a Muslim or a Catholic, you know, I, I am, I'm a Christian in my own way and I bring to that other parts of my identity so that I am uniquely what I am that um, and I think that's increasingly opposed to an older way of thinking about religions as these sort of hermetically sealed units and you've got to take the whole package and you're told what's orthodox and what isn't by the elders who tend to be male clergy and also I think I mean in the, in the 20th century religions became a bit like corporations competing with one another for market share yeah. and um, you can see why that appeals to those who are running them but it's very unappealing to people who want to just develop their own spiritual lives and yeah. so people are doing it themselves in their own spaces aren't they and weirdly a lot of the energy spiritual energy is outside of the traditional spaces and that's a mismatch so how how I mean how do you think we put back the wealth, the spaces, the power with where the spiritual energy is. Can you see how they're going to reconnect again? So um, I, I think it already has. I think um, older generations have had to cope with um, virtual Shabbats, uh, have had to cope with virtual Ramadan prayers. When the first lockdown happened, um, I think it really um, uh, shook people's understanding of how you pray because suddenly it was there's so much emphasis on congregation in Islam but mm. when it's unsafe when it's bad you know potentially bad for public health you have to make that sacrifice and I think uh, the, the the imams and stuff understood that 
God understands that. And, I, and we just have to, we just have to work with what we have. And the pandemic has shifted everyone's reality. It's, it's shaken everything to the core. And that's also shaken religiousness and practice of religion. So everything moving virtually um, is, is I think where we're going to end up seeing more and more things because I, you know, I have a very British Muslim experience of um, Islam, but there's lots of similarities with American Muslims or with um, Muslims from East Asia. And we, we, but we can connect that online and we have been doing pre-pandemic. It's just, it's, that's just the, um, the assumed way of living and going now. And I, I think what's been most stark about it is that older generations have had to face that and confront that, um, mm. which I know can be quite um, traumatic because it completely takes away a physical space that you hmm. compartmentalize religion to. So do you think that undermine the power of mosques? I mean, the actual buildings and places and their leaders, or what's their future going to be now people have tasted that? Yeah, I think it's exactly the same um, uh, conversation we had about churches. So they become that in, you know, in, 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 previous times mosques weren't only for praying they were women's mm. centers mm. they were schools mm. for children mm. they were book clubs where you host all of these things and you have community kitchens and i think that's what we'll end up seeing more of uh, they do have unfortunately i think um the, the corporation side of, of of religion they have had to do that as a way to diversify income so far so i think they'll probably just carry on doing that um and bringing more and more things in and, and more um, non-traditional religious activities in and like mm -hmm. like tutoring clubs or learning how to use computers and stuff if, if and when it's safe to. Yes, schools are, a lot of schools are very short of space. And so there's an obvious link up there with schools and religious buildings. You know, a weird irony may well be that, um, I know this is true of Christian churches, where Christian churches have been sold off, they've often got a covenant, a legal thing on them that you can use them for any purpose except a Christian worship. <laughs> so you can do anything except religion in them or, 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 or another sort of religion. So uh, it may be that they become community focused for non-religious activities and maybe spirituality will creep back in the back door. But you know, it's a sign of, it's a sign of that particular mentality that the people who used to own them don't want them used for that purpose if they're not in control of it. And so I think the least likely thing to happen is that they'll be used for interfaith, actually. I think it's more likely to be, as you say, things like, like education and more general uh, hire the hall, but um, they'll still have a problem. You know, churches would have a problem with allowing Muslims to worship in it or Hindus to worship in it. So weirdly, I think that's perhaps the least likely use of them in the future. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much. I'm so sorry we could probably talk about this um, forever, but um, we're going to have to just uh, wrap things up. So thank you to both of you uh, for taking part in, in today's podcast. Um, and for anyone listening, you can find out more about our Faith and Belief 2040 project on our website, cumberlandlodge.ac.uk. And, and keep an eye on our Read, Watch, Listen page, um, where we'll be publishing blogs and also next week's podcast when we'll hear from two more speakers on the topics of social cohesion and moral courage. Uh, later this year, we'll also publish a final report, which will sum up the key takeaways and reflections from this conference. 
Uh, so thanks again uh, to my guests and thank you everyone for listening.